And even if you wouldn't, do it anyway. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. You might be thinking, wow, we only sang two, two songs of worship this morning, and hopefully by the end of today you'll understand why. Because <laughs> we're not done. So. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished these words, Jesus speaking to his disciples, as we've been covering the last several weeks on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse, a very personal message for his disciples. When he'd finished these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Jesus here tells his disciples again very plainly that two days from this moment that he's talking with them now, he was going to be handed over for crucifixion. Again, very specific about what is going to be taking place over these next couple of days. He draws their attention to the fact that this is the Passover feast that will be celebrated. But this Passover is going to be different than any other Passover prior and different than any other Passover that would follow. This Passover would be the fulfillment of all Passover festivals, of all Passovers past, this present, and future. All of those were but a shadow, and this one, the fulfillment. All of the others were, were looking back to a moment when, when the Lord delivered the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, and they were delivered by the, from the, the, the angel of death by putting blood on the doorposts and lentils of their homes. But that all signified and pointed ahead and was a picture of Jesus saving us from sin and death by applying his blood that he shed for us to our lives. He is the Lamb of God, the perfect spotless Lamb that took our place. And Jesus is saying, this is what is coming. This is the event that is going to take place. Now, I find it interesting. He says, in two days, it's going to happen. The chief priests, the ones who want him killed, the ones who want him dead, notice they say, not during the festival. They're planning it. They think they're in control they're going to kill him. They want him out of the way, but it's not going to take place during the festival. Jesus has way too many followers, people that think there's something special about him, and there's millions of people in Jerusalem right now for the Passover. If we kill him now, there's going to be a riot, so we're not going to do it. Guess what? God is sovereign. God is in control. This day, this Passover was, was prophesied. This, this day, this Passover was planned before the foundation of the world. Paul tells us in Ephesians, Peter tells us in 1 Peter, John references it in the book of Revelation, that before the foundation of the world, this Passover was going to be the fulfillment of all of this. God is a sovereign God. His divine purpose will come to pass. 
Again, these, these chief priests, these people, and Judas will p- come and play a part of this. We'll see that as we, as we continue through the story next week. Judas plays a role in this and, and all of this. They're thinking that they're the ones that are pulling the levers, and they're thinking they're, they're going to get Jesus out of the way. Jesus will be executed so that he does, is no longer a problem for them. But again, not only is there a divine purpose, there is behind the date, there's a divine purpose behind the act. It's not to get Jesus out of the way. It's to get our sin out of the way. It tells us in Isaiah 53, speaking of this event, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He is sovereign. He is in complete control of everything that is going on. Now that does not diminish or reduce the culpability of Caiaphas and the religious leaders and Judas but it certainly elevates the glory of God as we see his sovereignty, we see his love displayed, his grace, his mercy. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. He came for that very purpose. Well, as we continue, verse 6, now when Jesus was in Bethany, Matthew, as we've talked, as we've gone through this, Matthew Um, doesn't pay particularly close attention to chronology. He's not concerned with the chronological order of things. After saying what he just said, notice that it was two days before Passover, what we just read, he says, now when he was in Bethany, we're going back now for this little scene that we're going to look at now, back to before Jesus rode in on the triumphal entry, when he was in Bethany prior. And we're going to see that as we take a look at John's account here in a moment. But now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Turn with me, if you would, to John's gospel, John chapter 12, because John records this same event, but with a few more details that Matthew leaves out. And to get a full picture of this, we need to take a look at it in its totality. John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover. So again, here we see that this takes place four days before what we were just speaking of prior. When he was in Bethany, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and, had, and he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was in it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. A few more details that John records for us. And as we look at this event, I think it's, I think it's interesting and I think it's kind of important that we, that we look at this even with regards to what we spoke of last week. If you were here with us, we talked about how Jesus is talking of a day in the future when the the sheep will be separated from the goats. And if you'll remember, he said, blessed are you because when when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was lonely, when I was in the hospital, you came and visited me. And they said, when did we ever do that? And he said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And he said the same with the goats, you didn't do these things. When didn't we, whenever you didn't do them for the least of these, you didn't do them unto me. So on the heels of that, coming out of a sermon like that from Jesus, I'm thinking that the thing that he would record as something that would be repeated every time the gospel would be preached would be a demonstration outpouring of generosity towards someone else. But notice what Jesus says. It's not an outpouring of generosity that that will be remembered forever whenever the gospel is preached. It's an outpouring of adoration towards Jesus. This is important to Jesus, so much so that he's he's making a mark of this that it will be talked about whenever the gospel is preached. And by the way, what a prophet he is, because here we are talking about it today. An example of worship that is pleasing to Jesus. Now, as we look at this in more of its detail and we start to unpack this a little bit, notice the disciples' response. Indignation. It's almost hard to read in here that we see this this outpouring of love on Jesus and they say, why the waste? It's almost hard to read. Why the waste? This could have been, this could have been sold and, and, and the money given to the poor, almost trying to make brownie points. Jesus, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Right? Why waste it on you? I mean, when, when we give it to others, you said we're doing it to you, and Jesus is like, guys, leave her alone. She actually is doing it to me. We see... In the account in Matthew and John, kind of a progression, if we look at John's first, John tells us that Judas was the first one who made the comment. He was the one that, that instigated the, the discussion, if you would. And John tells us the heart behind it. It wasn't because he really cared about the poor. It was because he was selfish. It was all about Judas. He was thinking, man, we could sell that for a whole lot, and then I could take my little cut underneath. Nobody has to know about that. It was all about Judas. Now, when John wrote this, it was some 50 years later, he knew what was going to transpire. He knew we going to see Judas and his heart played out over the next few days. When this is happening, I don't think John had any idea. As we can see, because Judas brings it, Mark tells us in his account that 
the other disciples started talking about it. So Judas says it. The others start saying, yeah, you know what? We could, that, that, that's, he's right. And it starts going. And Matthew tells us that at one, at, it gets to the point where all the disciples were in on this. God bless Matthew for his honest heart because he's one of them. They got caught into that. And in that, we can see that complaining is contagious. <laughs> A critical spirit spreads quickly. And we see this spread through the disciples, the ones who were supposed to be the ones who were closest to Jesus' heart, understood him better than anybody else. And they're caught up into this critical spirit again that begins with Judas. Now we look at the, the guest list, if you would. We see that it's at Simon the, the leper's house. Lazarus is there, Martha and Mary. Quite a group. Simon the leper. Now, at first reading of that, you're thinking, okay, who would answer a dinner invitation to a leper's house? I mean, I, I, I'm even thinking, okay, I know Jesus is going to be there. I, I'm going to hang outside. I'll wait till he comes out, you know, leper's house. The point is, he's not a leper anymore. <laughs> he's been healed by the touch of Jesus. Leprosy. That disease in that time, they would have to walk around and they couldn't get close to anyone. They had their own colonies, their own communities where they lived, separated from, from their loved ones. They had to walk around anytime they were close to anybody else. They had to cry out, unclean, unclean, but he's unclean no more. He's clean because he was touched by Jesus. Simon the leper, Lazarus, the dead man, <laughs> dead man no more. He's alive because of the word of Jesus. Lazarus, come forth. And he was, he was dead, 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 not sleeping. If you have a King James, he stinketh. I mean, he's, he's for three days, not anymore, alive. Martha, the complainer, not complaining anymore, Luke records an incident that happened prior to this, probably predating it by a good year or more, where Jesus again is in Bethany, this time at Lazarus' home, instead of Simon the leper's home, he's at Lazarus' home, and they're having, a, they're having a feast, they're having something going on, and Martha's doing all the work, and Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know the story, and she comes up and she goes, Jesus, would you tell my sister to get up? Get up and help me. She's just being lazy. She's just sitting here. Don't you see me doing all the work? And she's just sitting here. And Jesus said, Martha, you concern yourself with all of this other stuff. Mary has it right. She's here with me. She understands it. She's doing the right things. And by the gentle rebuke of Jesus, Martha changed. A heart change, understanding, wow. Okay, priorities. Simon the leper, Lazarus the dead man, Martha the complainer, Mary the worshiper. This isn't the first time we see her at the feet of Jesus. As we just said in that story in Luke, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. When Lazarus dies and Jesus comes three days later, she comes out and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And here again, we see her at the feet of Jesus. And I think it's important to note what Jesus said in verse 12. 
For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Mary understood something that the disciples continue to miss. And, and, you, and you wonder, how is that? Because the disciples are with Jesus all the time. The disciples are with him continually, and yet they're still missing this. He just said, it, it, that, and he'd been talking with them many times about this, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. Three days later, rising, he's been prophesying this that's coming, and they just keep going on like, like everything's okay. Here, Mary who is not with them during all of those other times. She hasn't seen Jesus in, in probably a little while. And when she sees him, she does an act of worship that Jesus tells her heart behind it to prepare me for burial. How did she know that? Well, I would imagine because she had listened when he had said it before, and there was something about Jesus this time that she sensed was different. He's only, he's only a few days away, less than a week away from this, and he's been coming, and he knows that this is coming here, and there's something perhaps she noticed in his countenance that's different. In her worship of Jesus, the fact that, again, in every account we find her, she's at his feet, no doubt looking up at his face and sensing something. Sensing his heart? Is it possible to be close enough to Jesus to sense his heart, to actually hear the, the nuances of his desires? I believe it is, if we worship like Mary does. I think there's a lot that we can learn in just these few verses about worship that gets us that close to Jesus about worship that is that pleasing to him. Now we know, and we've talked about this a lot, that word worship is categorized in a way that, okay, we, can, we, can, we put it in a little box. It's this singing that we do. That's not worship. Worship should be every act in our life, should be an act of worship. But there is something special. There is something unique that can't take place other places, that can't happen in such a way anywhere else that when the body of believers get together with a singular purpose, and that is to have an encounter with a holy God, when we gather together as we are this morning and our hearts are focused on that encounter, to meet Jesus face to face, to have that encounter with him, to adore him, to worship him. Something special happens. But we have to be prepared. We have to have the right heart. And again, we see that picture. What worship is about, it's right here. What worship is about is it's about offering something that is pure. We see in John's account, it tells us, you know, it's not just perfume, it's pure nard, which was a very... Uh, which a, a very specific and expensive perfume, and again, most valuable when it's completely pure, just as anything is. And that speaks of the sincerity of our worship, the integrity of our worship. God desires worship, but not just an outward expression. Can I be honest? He doesn't, he doesn't really care if you're in tune. 
He doesn't really care if you can keep, keep the beat. <laughs> that outward expression is important, is, is, is a blessing to him, but it is only a blessing when it aligns with the inward reality of our hearts. If it's just an outward expression that is just because everybody else is doing it and that's what I do on Sunday mornings, that doesn't please him. Psalm 24 says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. One who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him who seek your face, singular in purpose. Again, when we individually gather together corporately, singular in purpose, to see his face, to seek him, to have an encounter with the giver, not worrying about the gifts, not focused on what are you gonna give me, but focused on the giver, focused on the Lord. When we have that encounter, truly have that encounter, something again very special happens. The Bible tells us, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You go in with the singular purpose of encountering him, delighting yourself in him, not in what he gives, in him. Something happens, a transaction takes place. First, he changes our heart. He takes our selfishness out and he places his desires there and then he loves to honor that as we go forward. Worship is about offering what is pure. It's about offering what is genuine. See that pure nard that is in that alabaster jar? Once that seal is broken and the jar broken open then, and, and poured out, it cannot be taken back in. It is a genuine, authentic offering. It's not something that is done half-hearted and then saying, okay, well, I'm taking that back now. It's not like, okay, you can borrow my car for an hour, but I get it back later. <laughs> it is a complete outpouring, totally. Not to be taken back up again. Once it's poured out, if you're gonna collect what's left off of the ground and put it back in, it's no longer pure. Again, pouring out in that, a picture of pouring out our hearts. Lord, here's my heart. When it comes back, I want it to be your heart. <laughs> here's my life. I want it to be what you want it to be about now. Worship is about offering what's valuable. Now, just as an aside, when we give our offerings, that is an act of worship, but that's not what I'm talking about. There's the only monetary description that is attached to what Mary did here was by the disciples. Jesus doesn't mention that. Jesus doesn't talk about the value monetarily of that. He's not concerned with that. What he's concerned with is, is, the, is the personal cost, not what the world's values it at, but what it, what it costs to the individual. You know that, the, the story of the widow, the, the, the dropped the two mites in. Jesus made note of that and said, she gave more than everyone else not by value to the world, but by value to her. She gave everything. 
We saw here in the account, I think, well, I believe it's in Mark's account. Jesus said, she did what she could. Mary. And I think this is interesting when, when we look at what it is that she did. Because Jesus said, preparing me for burial. That is what that spice, that perfume was used for most of the time, was to anoint a body for burial. And it's extremely expensive and rare. So I, when we look at that thing, we say, okay, this was reserved for a specific event. And she's using it now for Jesus. Was there ever an opportunity that she could have used that before? Sure was. When her dear brother died. But she didn't pour it out there. Another time that, that the, this perfume was used specifically was on a wedding day. To allow the fragrance to fill the room during the wedding day. And she said, I am going to forego that for this act. Something reserved specifically and uniquely for Jesus alone, this act of worship. Worship is about offering what's extravagant. Guys, we can't be over extravagant when it comes to love and devotion and affection and adoration when it comes to the Lord. It's funny, when I go... I'll do this a lot at the, around the house. I'll, I'll walk into the kitchen and my kids will be at the table and, and my wife doing something in the kitchen. And I'll walk up and I'll give her a big hug and a kiss and I look over at the kids and I say, guys, I love your mom. And they go, oh, gross. Oh, PDA, PDA, which stands for public display of affection, by the way. PDA, ugh. Guys, when you do something extravagant for Jesus, you pour out your adoration for him, expect criticism from others, but expect joy from Jesus. He loves it. My kids, a little grossed out, they're like, oh. my wife, she loves it. <laughs> and I love to give it. And that's the beauty in the exchange. When we pour out our adoration on Jesus, it's a personal thing. We shouldn't be worried about what other people think. Shouldn't be worried about the worship critics. Should only be worried about what Jesus thinks. And if we come with that right heart, with that right offering, guys, we can't be over extravagant with that because it is in response to the most extravagant display of love ever. We worship him, we love him because he first loved us and he demonstrated that love for us by dying for us. Jesus said there's no greater display of love than one who would lay down his life for his friends and he did that for us. How could we possibly be over extravagant with our response to that based on what he did for us? Worship lastly is about Offering something that permeates the room. Yes, it's individual. Yes, it's personal. But when we do it together, something special happens. And it permeates the room. It spreads through the room. John says that the house was filled with the fragrance. 
Now, I don't know about you. I mean, some people are very sensitive when it comes to fragrances and smells. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, there are a couple things I really like the smell of, fresh baked bread and a lot of that type of stuff, but I don't typically take notice of that. But there was something about this. It was penetrating. It was intoxicating as it filled the room. Any of you lived in Surprise for like more than 15 years in this area? A few of you. You remember back before Surprise became what it is now when there was just a couple of grocery stores and a couple of gas stations and about a billion orange trees? Remember that? And that time of year, right around now, within the next month or so, and the orange blossoms would come in. I mean, it would almost, I, I loved the smell. It gave me a headache because it was so powerful. But it just, it, it permeated the whole city. It's interesting that John remembers that because, again, this is some 50 years later, John is writing his letter, but he remembers how the aroma filled the room. The aroma of her worship filled the room. But you know what also filled the room? We talked about it already. The room was filled with fragrance of a beautiful act of worship, but it was also filled with worship critics. <laughs> Criticizing that and focusing on, on that. Again. And I think that it's verse 10, they're talking about this. Verse 10, Jesus aware of this. Of course he's aware of this. He's in the room. He's right there. He can hear you. <laughs> And can I just say, if, if you have a critical heart at times towards worship or other people as they're worshiping, he can hear you. <laughs> Even if you're not vocalizing it with your lips at the time. When you're, when you're being critical of others' worship or a certain style or different things like that if, and, and that type of thing, he hears that. And worship, we've just talked about what worship is about. Worship is not about personal preference. Worship is not about a particular style. Worship, again, is all these things that we just looked at. And I hear from time to time. I, I hear it from individuals. I hear it third person. I hear it from all over that people say, you know, I didn't get anything out of worship. And you know why? Because you came with the wrong intention. You missed the point of worship. Again, if you come to worship expecting something to you, you to get something out of it, you missed the point. If you come to worship saying, what's in it for me, you missed it. If you come to worship saying, what do you want from me, then you'll get everything. You can't outgive God. <laughs> Whatever you pour out to him, he will return a hundredfold. But it's easy to get critical. It's easy to be critical of style. It's easy to, to get into that mode. I, I've heard it others say, you know, I can't enter into worship because of the atmosphere. I can't enter into worship because I don't know the song. I can't enter into worship because I don't know the lyrics or the words or I can't follow the melody. I can't enter into worship because of the atmosphere. If that is you, I would like to read you a little story that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 16. Speaking of Paul and Silas, it says when it 
verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them, against Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fashioned their feet in stocks. Okay, how's that for atmosphere? (laughs) Stripped, beaten, thrown into the darkest part of the prison, put into stocks. Okay, not comfortable, not my style, I don't know about yours. But, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there came an earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Guys, in this, to me, it's, it's, it's pretty clear. If you have a a critical heart, if you have a tendency towards complaining about a certain style of worship or a certain atmosphere of worship, quit complaining and start praising. If you don't know the words, I love this, the prisoners were listening to them. They didn't know the words. The other prisoners didn't know the words of the songs that Paul and Silas were were singing, but they listened, and they were caught up in it. And we have something today that those prisoners didn't. We put the words up there for you. So if you don't know the song, that's okay. Listen and read along. And before long, I guarantee you're going to be caught up in that too. You want to be a part of something that shakes the foundation of this place? where people who come in here bound by by different types of of sin or difficulties in their life or problems where we come to before the Lord Jesus and shackles are falling off, do you want to be a part of that? Then we need to get rid of our idea of what worship should be and focus on what worship Jesus loves. It's not about a style. It's about a savior. It's not, about, it's not about a certain kind of tempo. It's about the sovereign God and an encounter with him. Worship is our ultimate priority as Christians. And when we have a purposeful, genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus, we can't help, we can't come away unchanged. And just just lastly, he he doesn't need it, but he greatly desires it. It's not like his day is just hanging on this, but he desires it. He's waiting in anticipation for it. So, as I mentioned, we purposely set the service up today to spend the last part of it in worship. And as we do, I think it's important that we all maybe just take a look at the condition of our hearts, the condition of our lives right now. And if you're here today and you're like Simon the leper was, unclean, a believer 
You've, you, you've, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've drifted away. There's, there's, there is sin in your life. There's things that, that have come back into your life. and You need to deal with that right now. But it's done by his touch. The Bible tells us we, we, need to, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Deal with that right now. Perhaps you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord. You've never trusted in him. You're like Lazarus, the dead man, but you don't have to be dead anymore. The only way to have life, true life, is to be born again. And that is to confess your current state. The Bible tells us that we were all, all of us, everyone in this room, everyone that's ever lived, all dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in his love and his grace and his mercy, sent Jesus to die in our place. By grace, we have been saved. And if you're here today and you've never received that gift, it's simply a matter, again, of confessing your sin, turning from it, that's repentance, turning to Jesus, receiving the free gift of salvation, inviting him into your life, into your heart, giving him control of your life. He becomes Lord, and you follow him from this time forward. That's what it means to be born again. Inviting the Lord to come into you and give you that life that you do not have. If you're here today and you have never done that, do it now. Maybe you're like Martha the complainer. And you need a gentle rebuke from the Lord. And again, it's just a response of that and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've made worship. But I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. So let's, let's pray and let's worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done. Lord, we need to worship like Mary. We want a close encounter with you. We want to touch your heart today as we pour out our hearts before you. Lord, you are the sovereign one. You are the loving and gracious and merciful one who chose to pour out your love on us. And Lord, we simply respond to that love by pouring ours back on you by worshiping you, the worthy one. You alone are worthy of worship. Lord, we know you desire it, and we desire it too. Be glorified here today, and let your glory fall on this place. If you need to get right with the Lord this morning, it's simply a matter of going before him in your heart right now. You just say, Lord, I know my life's not right with you, but I want it right. And I know I can't fix it. I've tried. I need you. I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe you died to save me. I believe you gave your life for mine. So right now, I invite you to into my heart, into my life. You take control. I want to worship you today for the first time. Truly worship you. Lord, that's the heart of all of us right now.
is to truly worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.